The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good morning. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC, and here's your 5 at 5. Futures pointing to a higher open as Wall Street opens for another week of trading. Bitcoin is below $15,000 after a volatile weekend that included a more than 17% drop in just the 24 hours. And Chinese tech stocks getting hit again this morning will head live to Beijing for a report. Activist investor putting pressure on Kohl's, calling for change to the retailer's online business. And the Biden administration is expected to announce a diplomatic boycott of the Winter Olympics in Beijing. It is Monday, December 6th, 2021, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange here on CNBC. Good morning again. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan at this hour. Let's get it right to the market because we are in for a rebound with futures reflecting higher gains. The Dow currently up around 148 points in pre-market trade, S&P higher by nine. The Nasdaq, though, lower by around 30 points. The Dow is coming off a four-week losing streak. This is the longest losing streak since September of 2020. Meantime, the S&P and Nasdaq both suffering their second negative week in a row. Pay attention to the small cap index, the Russell 2000, dropping nearly 4% last week and is down more than 7% since Thanksgiving. Analysts note that small cap stocks are particularly vulnerable to economic uncertainty, and that includes COVID headlines that could encourage more people to stay at home. So we'll have to see if that story pans out. We are watching Treasury yields following Friday's jobs report and expectations that the Fed is on track to accelerate its taper. The 10-year note, yep, below 1.4%, right at 1.39. And then there's the crypto story that continues to play out. A crazy weekend of trading, as you can see right here. Uh, Bitcoin plunging to a low of $43,000 on Saturday from around $57,000 on Friday. Uh, That's a more than 17% drop in just 24 hours. Prices, though, did bounce yesterday, but remain below 50,000. The cryptocurrency, just to put this into perspective, down about 30% below its all-time high close of 69,000, which it did hit in early November. But we should point out, still been a positive year for 2021. Now to global markets in Asia. Hong Kong's Hang Seng dropping nearly 2%, led lower by Chinese tech stocks. Uh, Four new companies, including JD and NetEase, were added to the benchmarks. More on that in just a few minutes. And then in just the last hour, China's central bank announcing it would cut the amount of cash that banks must hold as reserves. That's its second such move this year. But let's head over to London and check in on early trade in Europe. Juliana Tattlebaum joining us with the big headlines. Juliana. Seema, good morning. Well, European equities are on the mend this morning. After last week, the main benchmark, the stock 600, retreated about three-tenths of a percent. And it's a broad-based rebound taking shape this morning. We've got every major region trading higher. But worth noting that the momentum has started to fade in the last hour or so when we started uh, around the 9 o'clock time here. So just about an hour ago, every major region was about 1% higher. And now you can see where we sit. The DAX over in Germany up just about 13 basis points or so right now. 
now. The CAC 40 up about a third of a percent. So still in positive territory, but not quite as positive as where we started the morning. A lot of focus, of course, on the Omicron variant and various restrictions that have been reimposed across the continent. Um, Germany considering a vaccine mandate for all. We've got protests around the continent uh, against from anti-vax people with anti-vax sentiment against these tighter restrictions. So a lot of focus around uh, how these new restrictions are being received. From a sector perspective, this is what the split looks like this morning. We've got uh, oil and gas outperforming that basket of stocks up about 1.6% alongside the bounce in the price of oil that we're seeing this morning. Banks also holding up well, up about nine tenths of a percent. On the downside, technology, healthcare, and travel and leisure teetering around the flat line this morning. Seema? Juliana, thanks for the latest in Europe. Now to today's headlines this morning. Hackers have taken $196 million from crypto exchange BitMart, this according to a security firm. BitMart confirming the hack in a statement and said all withdrawals had been temporarily suspended until further noticed. Alibaba overhauling its e-commerce business and naming a new CFO. The company is forming two new units, one for international digital commerce and one for China digital commerce. Meantime, currency deputy chief financial officer Toby Shu will succeed Maggie Wu as CFO starting in April. And you're looking at shares up about 2 percent in pre-market trade. Activist investor Engine Capital calling on Kohl's to either sell the company or separate its e-commerce business. The hedge fund sent a letter to the retailer's board yesterday. Shares of Kohl uh, not moving much at this hour. And then to cruise lines. A Norwegian cruise ship with at least 10 people infected with COVID has docked in New Orleans. The ship first departed the city on November 28th with more than 3,200 people on board visiting Belize, Honduras and Mexico. Health officials say they were working on disembarking the ship yesterday without making the spread of COVID worse. Norwegian does require all passengers and crew members to be vaccinated prior to the departure and shares of Norwegian actually uh, fractionally higher here in extended trade. Back to the broader markets coming in right now. Goldman Sachs cutting its outlook for U.S. economic growth to 3.8 percent for 2022. That is down from 4.2 percent previously. Uh, The firm is pointing out to risk and uncertainty around the emergence of the Omicron variant. Of course, big question is, what does that mean for the Fed's timetable? Joining us to discuss that and much more this morning is Delano Sapuru of New Street Advisors. Delano, good morning to you. Good morning, Seema. Thank you for having me. What a week, right? I mean, we had volatility, travel bans, this emergence of this new variant, uh, Powell dropping the word transitory. I'm just curious, how do you take stock of last week's price action as we try to understand what happens this week? Yeah, last week, last week's price action was obviously, you know, pretty volatile. And one of the things that I look back at and when you have volatile weeks is, you know, risk um, and volatility doesn't always equate to risk. So, for investors right this time, is the best thing you can do is be patient because a lot of new data, especially if you're mentioning the Omicron you know, new variant, a lot of data is still going to be coming that will change what's going to happen as far as the landscape of the economy. And so we have to make sure that we understand this new data as health officials still get, gathering more data on that. You mentioned the, the, the more hawkish tone uh, from the Fed and retiring the word transitory. That actually still ha- is, is going to have a play in the market, especially when we look at growth and tech stocks, what's going to happen with interest rates there on that side of things. You know, if you look at tech stocks, they've actually held up pretty well over the past month in comparison to other sectors of the market. So patience is probably going to be a virtue here right now, Seema. Although high flyers, many of which are in the technology space, sold off last week, uh, even a name like Tesla, um, which I guess you could call it as more consumer discretionary, down about 11 percent. I know you're a shareholder in the stock. Did you sell or what would you be doing here right now? 
So, so I did not sell. You know, I'm still holding. I think there's been a lot of selling in Tesla. You mentioned, um, obviously, you saw Elon Musk has sold a bit as an insider um, of shares of Tesla, obviously, for different reasons. But, you know, that, that's a stock that I think is a longer term hold, not selling. And I'll actually be looking for opportunities um, over the next couple of days and weeks to buy if it kind of re-rates a little bit more. I think this is one that you're looking at a longer term play here in Tesla. It's going to be a volatile stock. It always has been one. Um, and this is obviously other areas of the, of the sectors where they're having high growth areas. You saw some other some other high growth companies re-rate incredibly if you look at DocuSign and different areas of the market. So so this is going to be an opportunity for investors to use cash that's been you know kind of built up for the past few weeks to look for these opportunities to pick at plays that have re-rated a lot more into really, really favorable uh, valuations. Over the weekend, Alana, we did get some uh, early evidence from some studies that suggest this Omicron variant is less severe than, than the Delta variant. You had Anthony Fauci uh, on the morning show saying this data is encouraging that there's not a great degree of severity to it. How do you expect uh, the market to respond? Yeah, it's been interesting. So if you look at, you know, what we saw uh, when we first heard about the Omicron variant um, on Black Friday, when we kind of hear more data, um, the volatility index spiked. And if you look at, well, the past few decades, um, you know, 19 times that we've seen the volatility index spike over 40% in one trading session, we've actually seen the S&P be higher a year later, 95% of the time. So the market has been really, really resilient when there's been information come that's kind of made a, a really quick pullback. And usually we've seen a, a fairly you know, steady bounce back afterwards. So I expect, you know, if we hear new data, such as the data you just mentioned, that we see the market kind of be resilient and bounce back. So that's why investors could be patient. There could be a little bit more selling in the very, very near term. But I do see investors being resilient. As we mentioned, the S&P uh, up over 20% over this year. So I definitely think that that has to be in play here as well, Seema. So what I'm hearing from you is you're anticipating a, a, a rebound in the market, but I'm just looking at sort of the big losses we saw last week. I'm curious yeah. where you see investors putting their work or buying the pullback when Dow Transports, the Russell 2000, now yeah. down 12% from 52-week highs. Uh, communication services now down 10% from its respective high. I think there's there's areas in those sectors when you look at consumer discretionary as well. That was an area that was performing incredibly well until we saw this pullback. Um, and I think that's one area you did. You were talking about cryptocurrency earlier. I, I think that's obviously an area where we're, we're entering a bear market pretty much from all time highs. And that's where money area where I'm putting new money in, because I think that that pullback is, is going to be, you know, bottoming out here pretty soon. Investors have a little bit of areas um, to put money. And I think the sectors, as you mentioned, where you know, you're going to see financials probably you know, bounce back a little bit as well. Maybe the travel sector, if we get more positive news um, on the front of the, of the new variant. So those are the areas that I'd be putting on money, especially in the cryptocurrency area. I think we've hit a, a bear market there, and I think that will possibly bottom out pretty soon here. Okay, we'll see if you're right on Bitcoin. Um, back to this broader sell-off. Every time this this happens, you start to see strategists come out with their shopping list. So J.B. Morgan came out with one. They released their best Internet stocks to invest in at these levels. And they actually have Peloton and Uber on their list. And I'm just wondering, I mean, we've seen the year-to-date performance of both of these companies. Not so great. Would you be a buyer of these two stocks, especially a name like Peloton, which does sort of operate in that stay-at-home um, basket? Interesting enough, Peloton, Uber, two stocks that I, I actually do not hold. And there's a bit of a couple of reasons why. I, I just, you know, when you look at the valuation of Peloton, obviously during the stay at home, you know, big term during the stay at home play, that they benefited greatly from that. And since then, they've obviously had a little bit of issues with when you run into the Tread Plus. Uh, they've had issues with, you know, obviously top line sales 
Um, and I think that's just a stock that I've never been you know, really, really keen on buying at this point. And I think there's going to be a lot that would have to change my mind on that. Same, same with Uber. So, you know, kind of the ones that are re-rated, if you look at DocuSign, I still believe in the business outside of just being a stay-at-home play. Um, I look at PayPal, um, obviously another area that's, you know, had some struggles. But I think that stock is going to also, you know, kind of have a bounce back. Those are the two I'd focus on more than if you're looking at Peloton and Uber at, at this point, Seema. Yeah, Uber down 29% this year, Peloton down 71%. And it was, to your point, it was interesting that even despite these new concerns around the variant, Peloton did not outperform last week. In fact, it closed down around 2%. That stock trading at $43.55. Delano, great discussion. Thank you for joining us this morning as we gear up for Appreciate another it. week. Appreciate it. Delano Sapuru. When we head back, a lot of headlines out of China this morning. The central bank taking action. Tech stocks are under pressure. And Evergrande warning it's on the brink of default again. A live report from Beijing next. And first, as we head to break, check out the biggest S&P pre-market movers. Edwards, Life Sciences, Goldman Sachs up 2%. Stay tuned. A very busy hour still ahead on Worldwide Exchange. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Welcome back. Let's get straight to futures here and look at how we're trading at this hour. Dow Jones up 163 points, but continued weakness in the Nasdaq. And that's actually what we saw on Friday, too, with the index closing down by as much as 2%, currently lower by 17 points in extended trade. Biggest losers on the Nasdaq 100 at this hour. NVIDIA down nearly 3.6%. Moderna down 2.7%. DocuSign, tough day on Friday following earnings. You can see the stock down another 1.5% here on Monday. Switching to China, China's securities regulator is attempting to reassure investors and local companies U.S. IPOs are still in the cards. This, of course, comes after Didi announced plans to delist from the New York Stock Exchange less than six months after its IPO. And Eunice Yoon is joining us live from Beijing with that full story. Just uh, I mean, sort of encapsulates the troubles, Eunice, uh, that Didi went through. It sort of encapsulates exactly what some of these newer age technology companies in China are, are facing right now. Absolutely. You could see it really playing itself out um, on the Hong Kong shares of those China-listed companies. Uh, but uh, going back to the China regulatory, uh, the, the regulator, the China uh, Securities Regulatory Commission is, is speaking up. Um, over the weekend, the CSR, CSRC uh, said that China 
doesn't want to uh, make it seem as though it's uh, dismissing U.S. IPOs. It says that it respects companies' choices on where to list. Uh, the stocks regulator also uh, dismissed as completely misleading uh, the idea that Beijing was discouraging U.S. IPOs or that the demise of the variable interest entity structure is near. Uh, the VIE has been used to allow Chinese tech companies such as Alibaba to get around some of the uh, regulations here in China to list overseas. Uh, the CRC added that it's making, quote, positive progress with the SEC on defining national security risks. Now, the securities regulator, regulator's comments really highlight this internal stru struggle that we're seeing here among China's government agencies as to how to balance Beijing's priorities. So national security, for example, uh, versus making sure that some of the private companies are flush with cash. Uh, and again, you're seeing that internal struggle really playing itself out on the um, Hong Kong shares of China's uh, listed companies. It's unclear clear which priority an agency at the end of the day is going to be empowered. Uh, however, uh, the tech community here believes that whoever is empowered by President Xi Jinping is going to be the one that wins out. Now, whether companies are going to delist is another question altogether. And uh, what was interesting is that the stocks regulator, as well as the state media, has really been pushing the idea that the blame lies with the U.S. Uh, the CSRC said over the weekend that it's the U.S. politicians who have politicized the stock market regulations, and that is what could lead to more Chinese companies delisting. Seema? This is fascinating. China was the biggest opportunity, especially for U.S. investors, and now they're going to have fewer opportunities if more companies delist. Another big story, investors seem to be dumping Evergrande shares in Hong Kong, Eunice, amid sort of these renewed fears that the property giant could to default again. Well, what's happening there? Absolutely. Uh, Evergrande shares closed down by 20 percent. And as you said, investors are really, really nervous right now about the fate of the property giant. Uh, the property giant had um, over the weekend invited local officials to come take a look at their books, try to see what could happen in case there might be some sort of restructuring. The local officials had also met with the chairman. And that has been raising expectations that we could see some sort of managed restructuring that's being led by the government the central bank had said that this is an isolated situation. Um, other uh, top financial authorities have also come out saying that's the same thing. They don't want this to become um, a situation that spills over into the rest of the property market, even though we have seen, as you all know, a lot of uh, other property um, uh, developers really struggling. So that's been renewing fears about the fate of Evergrande, which now faces yet another uh, deadline where it has to pay $82.5 million uh, by today uh, in a coupon payment. And that stock chart really tells the story down another 5% today. Eunice, the expert on all things China, thank you so much for joining us today. Eunice Yoon. And as you just mentioned, it was another rough trading day for Chinese tech stocks. Check out the overseas listed shares of Tencent, Alibaba, Meituan, uh, JD.com down 4%. Just another sharp sell-off we're seeing in these technology companies. The overnight action does come on the heels of Didi's global decision to delist from the NICE in favor of Hong Kong just five months after its IPO. Joining me now is MSA Capital Managing Partner Ben Harburg, who's the firm's been an investor in some of these very 
names. And uh, Ben, good morning to you. Could this regulatory pressure we're seeing from not just Beijing, but D.C. lead to even more companies decoupling and delisting from the U.S.? It's, it's guaranteed. There will certainly be further delistings. It's not on the level that's being kind of purported uh, across the board that uh, all Chinese companies will have to delist and likewise that no future Chinese companies seeking U.S. public markets will be allowed to do so. Uh, but certainly there will be future delistings, as you said, both as a result of a push-pull from both uh, from both capitals. Which companies? Alibaba, Baidu, JD, they all had successful debuts when they went public here in the U.S.? Uh, again, I think it's going to be those that have uh, the most amount of sensitive data. So in the case of Didi, uh, a delisting was actually not unanticipated by those of us that kind of saw the turbulence around their IPO five, six months ago. Uh, Didi as a company, for instance, holds a lot of very sensitive national geospatial data. Uh, they obviously hold consumer data on over 550 million users. Um, and then we're obviously falling afoul of certain operating conditions here in China. And, and the authorities here thought they didn't have the ability to kind of control that if the company was listed abroad. Uh, so I think companies that fall into those sectors and have that level of sensitive data uh, could see pressure to uh, delist and relist in Hong Kong. If they do delist, uh, Ben, how does that uh, impact these companies' ability to raise capital? Uh, you know, I imagine that, that U.S. investors then have less exposure, right? I mean, it's a little hard, harder to invest in these companies if they're not listed here. There's always ways you can get around that. But uh, how does that affect their ability to, to raise funds, liquidity? Uh, or can they be just as successful but just listing in Hong Kong? So I think Hong Kong is, is today a very modern and robust and highly liquid global market, not one that's certainly restricted to mainland investors. Um, and there are obviously plenty of companies that most American institutional investors have in their portfolios today. They're in that market. And so actually the influx of these companies coming home should bolster and make that a stronger market. I remember speaking with Charles Lee several years ago, who was deeply disappointed that companies like Alibaba, uh, Tencent had gone public uh, in, in, in markets outside of mainland or outside of, of greater China. And so uh, that, that fear uh, hopefully uh, is, is being assuaged by this. And I, I think ultimately could yield a market that's much more liquid and, and obviously one that's very easily accessible for global investors. The weakness in Chinese uh, tech stocks, do you think that changes in 2022, Ben? So certainly we're in an environment of uncertainty right now. Investors hate uncertainty. They hate unpredictability. Uh, it's been challenging to read the tea leaves and understand and translate even the primary text, for instance, of that uh, edict that came out yesterday from the CSRC. And so uh, what is critical is that the Chinese government finds a way to communicate, to translate, and to effectively forecast and explain the rationale behind these decisions in many instances, which are highly understandable and logical, and even within the designs of what American policymakers have sought for our national businesses as well. So if they're able to do that, I think a lot of these stocks could bounce back because they are um, they're being depressed artificially and the market fundamentals and the fundamentals of these businesses don't justify the valuations at which they are sitting today. Yeah, erratic moves in Chinese names in the last couple of months. It's also coincided with more money flowing into India, a number of companies. They're going public in recent weeks from Paytm to Zamata. I'm wondering if that's a market you are watching or pivoting some of the money from China to markets like India that have less regulatory concerns. Well, obviously, um, you know, India is inaccessible for Chinese capital today, largely for Chinese corporates and venture capital firms. Um, you saw a significant push towards India starting middle of last year when a lot of these nationalist sentiments were rising. There was obviously this massive round raised by Reliance Geo and other companies that saw uh, global investors piling into the market. There's a lot of exuberance for India, and we as a firm invest in the market as well and are quite excited 
to be uh, investing both at the venture and growth stages there. The fundamentals are strong, the populace is huge, and because of things like UPI, uh, low data costs from, from Reliance Geo and others, um, it's a market that's very susceptible to the growth uh, of, of new technology platforms. And so we're quite bullish on India. Uh, we remain bullish on China as well, but certainly as a next exciting uh, market, India is certainly one that's attracting capital. Although with any market, profitability will be key, especially for a lot of these newer companies that have gone public. Taking a step back and looking at emerging markets, Ben, we're in this cycle where we're expecting the Fed to uh, taper a bit faster than expected because of inflationary concerns we are seeing here in the U.S. Typically, higher interest rates in the U.S. isn't bad news for emerging markets that sit on a lot of U.S.-denominated debt. Uh, Is that something you are worried about? Uh, it will certainly have a trickle-down effect across the board on, on public markets, on availability of capital, on interest rates within the emerging markets in which we are operating. We invest both in South Asia, Southeast Asia, the Middle East, and even Latin America. Um, to date, also in the private markets, in those markets, we're seeing a lot of expla- inflation and, and, and valuations in companies exceeding our highest expected levels. And so um, it's certainly been a, a rocking uh, party in emerging markets over the last year or so uh, with the availability of capital as it is, uh, that could slow. And obviously, it's key that that companies uh, and investors look to those stable businesses that haven't been riding this inflationary hype. Yeah, emerging markets down about 5% so far this year, uh, mostly led lower by China. Uh, Ben, great discussion. Thank you for joining us today on All Things Overseas. Ben Harbert. Coming up on Worldwide Exchange, the Biden administration is expected to announce a diplomatic boycott of the Winter Olympics in Beijing. Details when Worldwide Exchange comes right back. Today's big number, $140 billion. That's the total estimated market for meat and dairy alternatives by 2030, according to HSBC Research. That's a 15% annual growth rate through the decade. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. 
NBC's Francis Rivera in New York with the latest. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Seema. Good morning. We start with tributes that continue to pour in for a giant in American politics. Bob Dole's family revealing that he passed away in his sleep at the age of 98. They pointed out that he served this country for 79 years in and out of uniform. Ceremonies are expected in Dole's home state of Kansas and in Washington, D.C., but the arrangements have not yet been announced. President Biden offered his condolences, saying, quote, may our nation draw upon his legacy of decency, dignity, good humor and patriotism for all time. Former CNN anchor Chris Cuomo is denying a new sexual misconduct allegation after being fired from the network over the weekend. The Cuomo primetime host was fired, uh, first suspended Tuesday after an investigation by the New York Attorney General concluded he helped his brother, former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, defend himself against sexual misconduct allegations. On Wednesday, a lawyer representing an unnamed client alerted the network to Chris Cuomo's alleged sexual misconduct. The same lawyer represents Charlotte Bennett, who accused the former New York governor of sexual harassment. CNN released a statement on Cuomo's suspension and termination, saying in part, additional information has come to light. Despite the termination, we will investigate as appropriate. A representative for Chris Cuomo says the allegations are not true. The Biden administration is expected to announce a, a diplomatic boycott of the Olympic Winter Games. A senior administration official told NBC News the announcement could come as early as this week. A diplomatic boycott would mean that while American athletes could still compete at the Beijing Games, no U.S. government officials would attend. A full boycott was not expected. For a Monday morning, Seema, those are your headlines. We send it back to you. And those Olympics get set to start in February of 2022. Francis, thanks. Francis Rivera. Coming up, what the medical community is learning about Omicron and why Delta might be what we should really be worried about. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check it out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. We will be right back. Good morning. Futures trading off their highs of the early a.m. session as Wall Street opens for another week of trading. Bitcoin below 50,000 after a volatile weekend that included a more than 17 percent drop in just 24 hours. And former President Trump's new social media venture saying it's raising a billion dollars. It's Monday, December 6, 2021, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back. It is 5.30 a.m. on the East Coast. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan. Let's get straight to the market. Stocks are in rebound mode, but we're off the session highs uh, right now. The Dow currently up 108 points, S&P higher by two. The Nasdaq uh, continued weakness there, down about 62 points after closing lower by as much as 2 percent on Friday. The Dow, though, is now on a four-week losing streak, its longest since September of 2020. The Transports Index down about 11 percent from its 52-week high. And Pay attention to the small cap stocks. The Russell 2000 dropping nearly 4% last week and is now down more than 7% since Thanksgiving. Analysts noting that small cap stocks are particularly vulnerable to economic uncertainty and higher rates. Speaking of rates, we are watching Treasury yields following Friday's jobs report and expectations that the Fed is on track to accelerate its taper. Remember, that was one of the reasons the stocks uh, sold off last week. The 10-year note currently yielding 1.39%. So we're still below 1.4, a level we broke through last week. And then there is the cryptocurrency story. Crazy weekend of trading. Bitcoin plunged to a low of around $43,000 Saturday from $57,000 on Friday. That's a more than 7 
17% drop in just 24 hours. Prices did bounce yesterday, but remaining below 50,000. The cryptocurrency, just to put this into perspective, down about 30% from its all-time high close of 69,000, which it hit in early November. Making headlines at this hour, Kellogg's union workers have voted on a new labor agreement after two months on strike. The deal calls for a five-year contract and covers 1,400 workers across four states. If the deal is approved, workers could return as soon as next week. Hedge fund billionaire Steve Cohen wants to let investors react instantly to tweets. So he's backing a crypto startup that is looking to launch a stock exchange with 24-hour trading. Cohen's VC fund, Point72 Ventures, is leading a $14 million funding round for 24 exchange. And former President Trump's new social media venture and digital world acquisition say they've entered into a subscri- subscription agreements to raise about $1 billion from a group of investors. Digital World Acquisition Corp, DWAC, trading higher this morning by as much as 9%. Now to the latest in the COVID-19 pandemic. The new Omicron variant is in at least 16 states now, including California, Nebraska, Minnesota, New York. Dr. Anthony Fauci telling CNN that so far the variant lacks a, quote, greater degree of severity. Fauci also saying he hopes the United States will lift its travel ban soon on southern African countries. Meanwhile, countries in Europe also experiencing a surge in case numbers, with some governments responding by enacting new safety measures, protests occurred across the continent this weekend, including in Belgium, Germany, Spain, against those restrictions and vaccine passports. It comes as Belgium is requiring citizens to work from home again and Germany announcing a lockdown for unvaccinated people. Let's bring in Dr. Uche Blackstock, founder and CEO of Advancing Health Equity and an MSNBC medical contributor. Doctor, it's great to have you on this morning. First, your read on the latest data we got over the weekend that suggests this variant is less severe but more transmissible. Hi, Seema. Thanks so much for having me on this morning. So, you know, the data that we have so far is based really on a limited number of people infected with Omicron. So, yes, we're seeing that in a certain population that's studied that the illness may be milder. Please keep in mind that these are among younger people. They are less high risk, meaning they don't have underlying medical problems. We really need to see how this variant behaves in the older population and people who are high risk with Uh, medical conditions like obesity uh, and asthma and high blood pressure. Um, But we're also seeing that we don't know yet about the severity of the disease. And that will take a few more weeks to really understand because death is a lagging indicator. Although Anthony Fauci again saying that this variant in this data is encouraging that there's not a great degree of severity to it. So if that's the case, doctor, do you think the latest travel restrictions uh, unveiled by different countries, including the U.S., uh, are necessary? Yeah, so I I think the travel restrictions that are requiring testing within 24 hours are very smart. I I think those are requirements we should have had very early on in the pandemic. In terms of the travel bans, I think if we have those testing travel requirements, we don't need to have the travel bans. And I think that what they can do is they'll prevent countries from being more transparent with their genomic surveillance in the future. So I do agree with Dr. Fauci that we should lift those travel bans quite soon because that will encourage 
all countries to be global citizens in terms of sharing data about this variant. Yeah, and travel bans, of course, have invited great criticism. The World Health Organization over the weekend saying it placed a heavy burden on lives and livelihoods. But here's another thing I'm trying to understand. If this variant is less severe, what do you make of the rise in hospitalizations in states like New York and Massachusetts? Right. So, you know, obviously there's still more to learn about this variant, but we're in the in the beginning of a Delta surge. And so we cannot ignore that. We have not done a good job across the country of controlling this, this most recent variant, I mean, Delta variant. And so I think what we're seeing is we're still seeing Delta as the dominant variant. It's like 99.9% dominant at this point, which means we still have to encourage boosters, first-time vaccinations, as well as the other public health measures that we know um, exert an additive effect. So uh, masking, uh, physical distancing, uh, we still have to pay attention to ventilation filtration uh, as ways to mitigate the spread of this virus. So seeing those hospitalizations tells us that, one, we have widespread transmission still, and two, we don't have enough people vaccinated. Yeah, right around 60 percent here in the U.S. As you analyze, doctor, the drugs, the therapeutics expected to hit the market in early 2022, what are your early findings around whether these drugs will lose efficacy as these new variants emerge every couple months from now? Right. So, you know, the antivirals that are coming out from Merck and Pfizer, um, they don't target the spike protein. So the spike protein is the part of the virus that attaches to human cells and enables the virus to infect those cells. So, so fortunately, those antivirals don't target the spike protein, and that's where most of the mutations in these variants appear. So I see these antivirals as really being another really effective tool in our toolbox uh, against fighting uh, this virus. As for the monoclonal antibody treatments, it still remains to be seen if they'll if they'll be effective against this newer variant, the Omicron variant, since one of the properties of it is immune evasion. So we'll need lab tests and further clinical studies um, to see if monoclonal antibodies will still be effective. Doctor, if this is the new normal and every couple of months there's a new variant, do you think governments will come up with a sort of playbook on how to best respond um, and also find a way to process data faster so that scientists can properly advise governors and, and other leaders on, on how to respond? Well, Seema, I really hope they do. We should be able to flex to these situations by now. It's, it's almost predictable. You know, we see new variants. We see surges. We should really have a, a seamless process and protocol in place um, you know, by each state that says, OK, well, we're seeing an increase in cases, hospitalizations, even deaths. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to you know, encourage more vaccinations or we're going to put you know, this policy, mask policy in place in order to blunt that surge. So we need to be more organized about it, respond to metrics like hospitalizations and vaccination rates in a timely manner uh, in the future in order to prevent more human suffering and hospitalizations and deaths. Yeah, data is key. It's great to see you this morning. Thanks for guiding us on all things around this variant. Dr. Blackstock. Thank you. And coming up on Worldwide Exchange, from the debt ceiling to the fate of President Biden's Build Back Better plan. What investors need to know about what's happening in Washington right now? But first, as we head to break, some analyst calls this morning. Rivian initiated neutral at Goldman Sachs. The firm's price target, $94. That is a 10% downside from current levels. Home Depot upgraded to outperform from Perform at Oppenheimer with a price target 
of $470. That is a 15% upside from where it's trading right now. HSBC upgrading Meta to hold from reduce. The firm noting shares have come under pressure after a regulatory setback. It says its investment case remains a fragile balance between risks of more regulation and new business opportunities. Three stocks to watch. Worldwide Exchange will be right back. Dow futures up 104 points. Welcome back. The clock ticking once again for U.S. lawmakers to address Treasury's dwindling cash reserves. Janet Yellen says the country will be unable to service its debt by Wednesday of next week. The Bipartisan Policy Center, for its parts, pegs that number closer to New Year's. Political risk for markets not just centered on D.C., new tensions globally as well, with President Biden prepared to speak with Russia's Vladimir Putin tomorrow. And a possible diplomatic boycott by the U.S. of the Beijing Winter Olympics. To help us sort through all of these headlines and to filter out the noise, let's bring in Stephanie Kelly, deputy head of Aberdeen Research Institute. Stephanie, it's great to see you this morning. Let's talk about the debt limit because the market does not care about it till it's like one week till the deadline. Do you think there's a chance Democrats do not raise the debt ceiling in time? I think, you know, in D.C., you can never rule anything out, but consistently both the Democrats and the Republicans, they haven't said how they're going to do it, but they have said consistently that they recognize the U.S. is not going to default on its debt. So I think I'm pretty comfortable with that as a base case. As I said, never say never, but it feels as though we're likely going to get some kind of solution. Now, what exactly that solution looks like, I think, depends on who wins the political battle in D.C. at the moment. But there are options on the table that allow for bipartisanship, that allow for a single party to move forward. And my expectation is broadly that they, they'll find a way. But that doesn't mean we don't get the drama right up until the deadline. And one idea that Democrats have put out there is tying the defense bill uh, to these talks around the debt limit. But that's received some pushback. And then there's the other option, which is simply budget reconciliation. How do you see the story panning out? So I think this is where the, the challenge really is. I think there's a middle ground right between Democrats having to do the budget reconciliation themselves, because that opens up a lot of question marks and, and ties some questions to the bill back better. But I think as well, somewhere between a bipartisan full agreement and that reconciliation would be allowing the Democrats to pass the debt extension without the Republicans filibustering, right? So that kind of middle ground seems like the most politically appealing one right now, though, of course, leaders have been very tight-lipped in exactly how they are going to approach it. So if we were to see that, I'd expect that Republicans will get a sort of a quid pro quo on the other side, so they'll agree to filibuster, but that They'll agree not to filibuster, but that will come with some kind of political cost to the Democrats, be that through the Republicans getting something they want later in the agenda. Stephanie, of course, the market's watching this variant very closely after the sell-off we saw last week. Over the weekend, some encouraging comments from Anthony Fauci, who says the Biden administration is re-evaluating the current travel bans, given the latest data we have around this variant being less severe. I'm curious what you're hearing on that front. And, and do you actually see the U.S lifting the trial bans it put in place just seven days ago? I think it's really challenging. And honestly, this isn't something that just the U.S. is grappling with. You're seeing this across particularly developed markets, so the U.K., European countries, the U.S. I think the challenge is particularly as you start to find more Omicron at home, there comes up against more kind of critique, particularly given that you're talking about limiting travel from Southern African countries for the most part, um, which we know tend to be much more challenged when it comes to development and as the Southern African authorities have kind of said, they've 
in some ways they do lots of genomic testing, so they've picked this up, but there's no there's no necessary proof that that's where it's come from. I think that's where the political battle is. I think in terms of what's likely on travel bans, I think travel bans tend to be very un, um, unpopular and you'll see a lot of push and pull. But I do expect that rigorous testing is likely to actually stay in place for some time. So that idea in the US of having mm-hmm. to test 24 hours before, I think that's likely, and you're seeing that in the UK and European countries as well, that makes travel just that little bit more difficult for people. It makes you just think twice about whether you want to go on the holiday or not, but it's not a full ban. It's not a full restriction on you taking your taking your trips. And hopefully the infrastructure around testing can improve so that people are facilitated to be able to get a PCR test right. and get a result within 24 hours. Stephanie, it's good to see you this morning. Thank you for joining us, Stephanie Kelly. All right, on deck, technology stocks coming under pressure once again this morning. The big movers when we come back with the Nasdaq lowered by 91 points in free market. Let's take a look at the Nasdaq and the biggest losers, the biggest percentage losers, NVIDIA. Uh, down 4.3% in pre-market trade. Moderna down nearly 3%. Advanced Micro Devices, CrowdStrike, and ASML holding. Uh, those are among the biggest losers with the NASDAQ uh, lower by around 90 points here in extended trade, whereas the Dow and S&P are indicated higher. Let's bring in Patrick Fruzetti. He is the managing director and partner at Rose Advisors at Hightower. Patrick, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. What a volatile week. We started last week down. Tuesday was higher. Wednesday was lower. Uh, I'm curious how today's market performance will sort of be telling us to what to expect um, as we try to understand, you know, more understanding around what the Fed will do next and how markets are going to respond to this variant. Yeah, well, look, I I think the the Omicron variant was really just an excuse uh, for the market to take a breather. I mean, this is really all about the economy, inflation. We heard that from Fed Chair Powell, um, which really started a lot of this um, this noise. Um, you know, he's really focused on inflation much more than employment um, because you know inflation has become such a political issue. And so I expect to see him focusing on that more and more. Um, but honestly, what's really interesting, you know, you mentioned, you know, up days and down days on some of these weaker market trading days, the dollar has actually been weaker. So that's something to really uh, to follow closely, you know, in the days and weeks ahead. Yeah. Following Powell's testimony last week where he dropped the word transitory, there are now big questions ahead of this inflation read on Friday, right, coming up on Friday. Following that big jump we saw in CPI prices, uh, higher by around 7%, I think, in the month of October, what are you expecting in November? And how could that change the Fed's timetable? Yeah, well, I expect to see that pressure continue. Um, I don't know if it's going to change the Fed's timetable very much. I mean, it's really a question of, is this just tough talk, right? Because Powell can come out and say something and and clearly it can put some pressure on the markets. Um, but I do expect to see uh, some tapering um, come, you know, 2022. But, you know, they really have very little wiggle room on rates. So I wouldn't expect to see uh, any pressure um, from rates, you know, in, in the intermediate future. And I think that's really going to be a big driver in the market come 2022. I know you like retail names like Gap, Nordstrom down double digits last week. What do you make of these companies? Well, actually, I mean, I'm, 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 you know, I've, I've spoken about retail. I'm, I'm not a fan at all, really, of those of those companies. Um, I will note about those companies because 
I think they're good barometers. That's why I follow them, because when we looked, you know, they reported uh, over the past couple of weeks and, and just the comments from some of these companies, I think they reflected um, the 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 in, you know, the, the pressures we see, the bottleneck pressures that certainly impacted like Gap and Nordstrom, but even more so, you know, a name like Best Buy, they talked about not only those pressures, but shrinkage, um, you know, shrinkage in inventory has become a, an enormous problem for some of these yeah. retailers. Patrick, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you that your pick there at Best Buy, which is higher. Great to have you on the show today. And that does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. Swap Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.